Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and thanks for joining us on Founders and Friends for another awesome podcast. Let's give a quick shout out to the Cruise Consulting accounting team. We're very fortunate. We have a ton of people at Cruise who work on the monthly books for our clients and get them all set up, due diligence ready, rocking every month, answering all the clients' questions, making all those adjustments. And there's no better moment for a founder and for us, really, when founder says, hey, I think I'm going to get a term sheet. Are my books ready for diligence? And we get to say, yes, they are. Fire away. Send them over. Give them access. That is a great feeling. It's the feeling that lets us know we've done a job very well done. And nothing is better than watching that cash hit the bank account. So if you are a venture-backed startup, you're going out to fundraise, maybe check us out. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. We love what we do. At taping here, I think we have 575 clients. Clients raise over a billion dollars this year. So we know what we're doing. And hopefully we can help you be successful in your fundraise. All right, let's get to the podcast. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise from Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Don Muir of ARC. Welcome, Don. Hey, Scott. Excellent to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I should also mention I'm a tiny, tiny personal investor in the company. I'm, I'm a believer. That's why I want to have you on the podcast, but just want to make that clear. Don, tell us, retrace your career. Tell us how you had the idea for ARC. I'm, I'm very excited about what you're building. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the, the inception comes back from the, the days at uh, an undergrad at Cornell. I've always been a, a finance nerd, uh, studied finance in undergrad. When I say finance, I'm not necessarily referring to what we're seeing here in Silicon Valley in the venture space, but I'm referring to fundamentally driven underwriting in valuation, studied finance, took every finance course I could get my hands on, starting an undergrad, involved in all types of, of finance clubs. Ultimately, uh, after graduation, worked for a, a value-oriented private equity shop in New York called Onyx Partners. It's one of the oldest and largest publicly traded private equity funds where they care most about uh, fundamentally driven valuation. So finding uh, value opportunities, buying companies for eight to 12 times EBITDA. And uh, it's, it's a little bit different from obviously what we're seeing here in Palo Alto and San Francisco, but it's really where I learned, where I learned finance. And over time, my interest really uh, evolved into a passion for, uh, for the financial markets and for the capital markets. And when I moved across the country to enroll at Stanford Business School and moved across the hall from uh, what was eventually or who was eventually my co-founder, Nick, turns out we sat on the opposite side of the table in multiple uh, leverage buyout transactions in New York. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Nick, Nick. You, you put it together. You're like, oh, I did that <laughs> one too. And then you I, I kid you not. I moved in across the hall from this guy, Nick Lombardo. And uh, we started chatting. I uh, found out he was a VP at AEA, and I, I brought up one of the deals that I, one of the most recent deals I'd been working on at Onyx at the time prior to enrolling at the GSB. And I said, you're not going to believe this. I was a VP on that deal. Turns out they won, right? We, we oh, spent, my God. We spent, oh, my God. We spent all summer uh, working on this transaction, you know, all-nighters, almost every night of the week. Nick pulls ahead, preempts the process, wins the round, and um, and we, we basically, you know, we, we hated these guys for, for winning the deal oh and, and taking away our full summer. So when I moved in across the hall from him, 
uh, at Stanford, I immediately texted, you know, the MD on, on the deal. And so you're not going to believe <laughs> you're not going to believe this. And you're like, this was the market clearing price. We should have been at kind exactly. Of we missed it by yeah, two yeah. turns. So, so whether it's winner's <laughs> curse or not, uh, time will tell, but, um, but that was how my relationship started with Nick and we bonded over finance uh, and investing. But what I quickly learned or what we both quickly learned is that there's a lot more that, that bonded us beyond uh, an interest in finance. It was a shared interest in entrepreneurship. So Nick was tinkering on uh, a couple marketplace, uh, vertical labor marketplace ideas. I was actually looking at the, uh, the Amazon FBA uh, roll-up space. This was pre, you know, in, in the, first, the first few innings of the, the Thrasio days. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking at ways to apply my finance uh, skill set to entrepreneurship. And uh, FBA aggregator uh, market is, is one uh, you know, lo- low-hanging fruit. So that was kind of the first taste of, of entrepreneurship. Being at Stanford, it, it is really an infectious entrepreneurial environment uh, like no other. Coming from the East Coast, working, consulting, or investment banking and private equity, it's, it's really just a night and day, life-changing experience to, to be surrounded by all these uh, incredible entrepreneurs and operators. So for me, to, the idea of taking my skill set and my passion for finance and applying it in an entrepreneurial setting is, is what got me out of the bed in the morning. And when, when I started working on ARC, and we can talk about how the idea came to fruition, but when we first started working on ARC, I decided that, uh, that this is going to be the path for me. Go back into private equity or, or, or work in entrepreneurship, decided to take the leap and, and ultimately never look back. Don't you think it's kind of freeing in that moment where you're like that, it's like a, it's relief and then you realize you've got a lot of work to do, but it's like that... <laughs> That I remember when I joined Vanessa at Cruise, you know, almost seven years ago, I was the third person. And I was like, I'm doing this. And it was like a great, really great feeling. And then life kind of clarifies you. You become very focused. You know exactly what you need. You don't know exactly what you need to do. You know you have to solve a lot of problems and there's going to be more problems and, and things to come. But but if you're a problem-solving kind of person, it's a, it's a, an incredible experience. So I'm, I'm really happy for you. You found this. And that you made that decision, like a clear decision, like you were going to do this. Yeah, definitely. It really started with just talking to hundreds of software founders in and around the Stanford community throughout Palo Alto. The timing, I mean, it's the peak of the global health pandemic. So classes went fully virtual. Classrooms oh, were, were literally boarded up. I was ultimately locked down in my, in my house, my student housing with Nick uh, and a few other Stanford students taking virtual classes with no travel. Um, and really nothing, nothing else to do besides work on ARC. And so, you know, we, we would dial into our classes in the morning and, and work on ARC throughout the, the entire day and all night talking to Stanford alumni and founders uh, in and around the Bay Area. And it was really from uh, understanding their major pain points as it pertains to capitalizing their business that the, the idea for ARC was born out of. It's kind of like dog years, like those COVID locked up and not being able to do anything. Like for every every one month you got uh, of that, you got seven months of progress, you know, exactly. on your startup. That's really cool. Exactly. And so your epiphany talking to these founders who were running software companies was, hey, there's a better way to finance your startup company, right? Your, your SaaS company. So bridging the experience in New York uh, with the conversations in Palo Alto and Menlo Park, the idea is working uh, in investment banking and private equity. Uh, Nick and I, you know, we raised billions of dollars of capital to finance large multi-billion dollar transactions. Yeah. And we saw how 
the processes uh, at the late stage are uh, extraordinarily slow and cumbersome manual offline. There's literally armies of investment bankers and credit analysts who plug in um, to understand in a very backwards looking manner, the fundamentals of a business. Yep. And moving to Palo Alto and then ultimately to, to, to Memo Park and, and meeting with all of these early stage founders, we saw two things. One, uh, non-dilutive capital just wasn't available to these founders. They either didn't know it existed or, or they didn't have access to it. And so they thought that venture capital and selling an ownership stake in their business was the only way to fund their growth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was one. And then two, like on, on Wall Street, New York, where venture debt did exist or when traditional sources of non-dilutive capital did exist, it was fully analog, offline, manual processes that take months uh, and are very distracting to management teams that simply don't have the time to invest in raising that type of non-dilutive capital. I have a couple comments on that. The first sure, one sure. about how venture capital seems like the only way to do it. I mean, there's a reason why uh, Sand Hill Road is located about half a mile away from Stanford's uh, campus, right? Like that, that and, you know, Berkeley, I went to Berkeley, but those two universities and probably more Stanford in the last 20, 30 years have really fed the entrepreneurship and the VC industry. So like it paid for venture capitalists to be close and it becomes like this self-reinforcing thing where like, you know, maybe someone a year or two ahead of you at Stanford Business School took venture capital and that's someone you know. And so it seems like the normalized approach on how to do things. So you're totally right about that. And debt... Like I, you know, this, I, for the audience, I used to work in debt. I was a partner at a venture lending fund. I know all about it. And it's just a lower profile thing. And in the way, in the style of venture debt, which we'll talk about later is more of a follower tool. It's a, it's a tool that follows the VCs. Right, right. And so the venture debt folks are more, are not going to be out in front that much either. And so I think it's really interesting that, that, you know, I, I bet you there, there was, if you pulled your classmates at GSB, Pro you're probably right. Like 70% of them didn't even know there was, or 80% didn't even know there was like a debt component to venture capital and that it was even possible. And VC is the largest distribution arm for venture debt and they have proprietary relationships yeah. where introductions yeah. are made to portfolio companies. They follow yeah. on with the same VCs. The reality is when I think of finance, I think of, of, of fundamental valuation and investing and, and, and an analysis of cash flow. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we're doing it faster and better with technology. So rather than following on to a venture capital investment, we can look at the fundamentals of a business. We can look at trailing historical cash flow, how it's trended over time relative to gross margin, to revenue, to month over month growth, to net, to net revenue retention, uh, logo churn. We can look at these metrics in a fully automated manner and come to uh, programmatic funding decisions and deliver the capital to startups uh, through consumerized enterprise technology experience that founders have come to uh, expect in every other aspect of their business. Uh, so, so I think that's there's there's really two disruptive you know components to this product. One is the financial product itself, which is converting future revenue into upfront capital, and the other is delivering it in a seamless consumerized enterprise technology experience. I love it. I love it. And you're, you're making it like the, on that, that second point, the consumerized kind of the, the experience that everyone wants to have, like the, you know, the Facebook Google experience, but you're bringing it to a, to a world that's pretty like 
pretty slow. And you used the word analog earlier, which I would totally agree with, like very analog, very like when I was at Adventure Debt, I would do a phone call, do a meeting, write something up, go back to our partnership, very kind of qualitative underwriting. We would definitely look at the financials and cared about the financials. But a lot of it was like, where's this company going? What's our vibe? Does the management team know what they're doing? Who's the syndicate? You know, all that kind of stuff. Not using probably, and in fairness, back then there wasn't as much data and it wasn't as easily accessible right. um, as it is now. So I think that's also, you're, you're kind of in the, right. kudos right. to you and your team. You guys recognize right place, right time. This stuff is available. Why aren't people using it? Definitely. Um, but that's, it's really powerful. And to make it, kind of a, a friendly, easier process so that the founders don't get totally um, distracted and have to take a week off just to do all the meetings and all this kind of stuff. Like that's that's actually pretty valuable for them too. Oh, absolutely. And the, and the goal is to make it as frictionless as possible. So it's it's not structured as debt. We are not a lender, right? We're, we're, we're advancing a company's future revenue, pulling it forward to time zero so they can use it to inject in the business today to accelerate growth or extend the runway ahead of their future funding round. So uh, that we don't have the same covenants and, and liens on assets as a traditional lender would take. I was going to ask that. So when you're doing, maybe kind of walk through some of the details on the proc. Like one, one thing's very clear when you're on the ARC website is it's it's focused on SaaS you know, software companies, the same companies that you interviewed to come up with the idea, right. you know, that sounds like a conscious choice. And then what are, what are some of the, you know, is it for C stage companies? Is it pre pre investment? Is it for series a, or does it, does the VC round even matter because you're not really paying attention to the equity capitalization anyways? Yeah. So the one real eligibility criteria for our core product today is that you're revenue generating. So we, we're purchasing the future revenue we're pulling that forward and giving it to yep. companies today to, to in, invest in the business, to invest in growth without dilution, without debt. So, so that's really what, what we look for. Now, when a company onboards with ARC, they get two things. First, they integrate their backend, uh, their financial stack in the backend. So think banking, billing, accounting, API integration, sometimes additional data can be integrated to make a more educated underwriting decision. We take that data uh, and we run it through our uh, fully automated underwriting model. So instantaneously, we're producing a preliminary ARC score. Now, wow, that's cool. That's super cool. It's a, it's a fully automated process. We use machine learning data enrichment to strip out financing from operating uh, cash inflows and outflows from the banking transaction data. So we look at 24 months of banking data. We pull out financing charges, uh, inflows, so capital injections from equity or debt investors, interest payments, and we get a true sense of, of net cash burn for the operating cash flows of the business. So using that versus cash on balance sheet, net of other uh, debt obligations, we can get a sense of the, the true runway of the company. And that gives us a comfort around, will this company be around in 12 months to ultimately earn the revenue that we're purchasing? Will it be a viable entity in 12 months time? That's a check in the box that determines sizing of, of the ultimate ARC advance. The next component is what we're calling the ARC score. It's analogous to a FICO score for a consumer yep. in that yep. we have about 40 metrics uh, that we benchmark a given company against. We look at gross margin, month over month revenue growth. We'll look at, of course, net cash burn and how that's trending versus top line growth. Uh, we'll look at net revenue retention and customer 
uh, level concentration. I, be, I built V1 of this, uh, this underwriting model myself. And then we have a, a world-class engineering team who, who, who automated the process and built it into our technology. So we'll produce this ARC score uh, in a very automated manner. We'll convene our, our underwriting committee to the extent it's a large check size. So our average check is getting close to a million dollars. And we'll do a quick you know, sanity check with our, our underwriting committee. And then within two business days, we make the capital available to a startup. Wow. So it's a mil- up to a million dollars. That's a, that's a big check. And it sounds like you're kind of highly focused on like that 12-month timeline because you're, pu- you're essentially pulling their revenue forward. And so that that's like the basically length of the financing agreement, right? Like 12 months? Yeah. So we will do anything from six to 12 plus months. The, the more runway a company has, the more mm. capital will be available to them um, and the higher ARC score they're going to earn. So for some of our repeat customers that are, you know, in the six month runway range, they're backed by, you know, the Sequoias and, and Tigers and A16Zs of the world. They're looking for some additional capital injection ahead of their next equity round so they can extend the runway. They're getting term sheets thrown at them every day, right? These, a lot of these, a lot of these B2B SaaS companies in today's fundraising environment, they could raise, you know, double digit millions tomorrow. Uh, the reality is by working with ARC, they get an extra one, two, three months of cushion. They're burning a million bucks a month. They get another three months by funding with ARC, a million dollars per month over the quarter. Their revenue is 50% higher by the time they do that equity. Yeah, yeah. A 50% higher valuation. They're preserving more more uh, ownership for existing shareholders uh, and the founders of the business. And that's that a makes so much sense for everyone. And it kind of like, I like how you're doing kind of like three months of runway extension or some, some, some shorthand for that because- that way, ARC isn't like completely financing the company forever because then the equity investors are kind of like out of the picture or whatever. Like you're you're keeping everyone, the founders, the equity investors, and ARC all aligned and keeping everyone's attention on the company. Definitely. It's, yeah. not, it's not a free lunch kind of thing. Absolutely. That's really cool. And you're right. The the We see this in the cruise portfolio, like the client portfolio. There's there's a lot of like velocity in revenue growth and, and – the market is this is this is the most kind of aggressive I've seen the the financing market in a long time, in like probably twenty years. So you're right, companies are getting term sheets thrown at them constantly. But waiting those extra three months can have a material benefit, as long as they're hitting milestones and continue the growth on their valuation. It's pretty it's it's pretty exciting. Exactly, and we can make that determination algorithmically by looking at their historical and projected revenue growth, by looking at invoices that they have, new bookings. We can determine that in three months' time, this company will be able to raise at a 20, 30, 50% higher valuation, and that'll result in X million dollars of savings yeah, to the existing shareholders of cool. business. That's cool. At Lighthouse one time, I did an experiment where I tried to quantify like the amount of dilution companies were saving. By, t- by doing debt. And, and, but again, the market was not as frothy now as it is now. And I think like a lot of companies weren't growing. I mean, the reason why the market's kind of frothy in venture capital is companies seem to be growing kind of at an all-time high speed. I think it's like the interconnectedness. I think Definitely. the world's adopted SaaS. People understand it. It solves a lot of problems. And, and because those metrics are a little bit easier to access – it's easier for everyone to appreciate what, hey, this company right now is on a trend to be an IPO company in two or three years, you know, right. like true, really, truly. And so people can get behind them a little bit easier. That's, that's really amazing. Hey, it's Scott Orn, and we're going to take a quick break from the podcast 
to give a shout out to the cruise tax team. Gosh, it's a, it's so nice to have an in-house tax team. I can't even tell you. Uh, we have some really amazing professionals on the team. It's over, I think it's 13 people now. And we do everything from your federal state income tax return, state franchise tax filings, R&D tax credits. Those are pretty popular these days. And guess what? They're there for you when you go through diligence. A lot of people don't know this, but you actually go through tax diligence, not just operational kind of financial diligence, but you do go through tax diligence. So it's nice to have Vanessa Cruz on the phone with your VCs and with the accounting firm they hired to diligence all your stuff and the law firm they hired to diligence all your stuff. Vanessa knows what she's doing. She's done this a million times. And, uh, and not, it's not just Vanessa. We have a really great team of tax professionals that will do those calls too. It's, it's kind of sometimes the difference between getting around closed or having it take another two weeks because something was disorganized and the tax compliance wasn't done correctly. We hear those horror stories from clients that come to us. So, hey, if you want Cruz's tax team on your side, we're here for you. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. Thanks. Now, in terms of, um, you talked about like some of the security aspects, like liens and things like that. How does the company think about like, okay, I'm making this promise to ARC. How do you know what? How do you kind of collateralize it, or what's it what's it backed by? Yeah, so we're pur- we're purchasing uh, unscheduled future receivables of a software company. So whereas some of the the more traditional lenders uh, will do receivables factoring. Uh, or collateralized assets on balance sheet, what we're effectively doing is we're purchasing future unscheduled receivables and we're, we're pulling forward that future revenue stream that we can project out based on our underwriting model. And we'll give companies that capital today. And uh, we'll take some nominal haircut off the top. That's our take rate. The company will repay us on a monthly basis, straight line over the 12 months they would have realized that revenue. So to give you a quick example, a company, B2B SaaS company with a million dollars of financeable ARR, they have a 95 ARC score that implies a 5% take rate. It's priced algorithmically. Oh, um, that's how that's how take rate works too. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So we'll give them, you know, up to $950,000 at time zero. They inject that in the business, accelerate their growth and pay us back $83,000 a month over 12 months, which is the full $1 million of revenue we purchased. That's amazing. You said something that's that really caught my attention, which I love, which is the unscheduled unscheduled invoices, right? Or unscheduled kind of right. uh, customer. That's important to talk about because it actually opens the door for a lot of companies that think about receivable factoring in a very traditional way. Like I send, I, I provide a service, I send an invoice, and I can take that invoice and factor it, um, often at a, a pretty high cap, cost of capital. Definitely. And so what you're saying is, but, but a company like Cruise, for example, we have a 30 day cancellation, like our con on purpose. Cause we want our clients to be happy and can move on when they outgrow us. And so we don't have like a 12 month contract to factor or finance, right? We have unscheduled invoices. Like right, that's right. the, the rest of 2000, we're recording this in January, 2022, the rest of 2022 is just unscheduled invoices that will go out on the first of the month, whenever we're supposed to get paid, that kind of thing. And so you're opening the market, I think this is really big. Like you're, you're actually making this available to companies that have high retention and know they're going to have their customer base, but haven't actually sent that piece of paper to the client commemorating that they owe them money. Like, like does that make sense? At, at ARC, finance is in our DNA. We went to market very intentionally, lending off of our balance sheet, spinning up a large credit facility and owning a relationship end to end. We want, we want to own the customer 
relationship. We want to understand your business inside and out so we can get comfortable not doing traditional receivables factoring, but literally pull, pulling forward yeah. future receivables that aren't necessarily scheduled yet and advancing that capital today because we believe in you. We believe yeah. in your future growth. We believe uh, that your business will be successful and we want to back you. We want to do that without dilution. And you can do it quickly because it's it's automated and you have a you understand the market you're lending into the SaaS software market. So I, right. I like that. I mean, obviously, I liked it because I wrote a very small check, but but it it makes to to me the eye opener is um, there's a lot of people out there who want to finance um, receivables. That's that's like from from the time banks were invented. That's what banks like to do. And so to me, you're using your technology and industry expertise to unlock a different financing vehicle for people who don't have receivables, but have the same traits, like the same consistent customers. They know what they're going to pay, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's, that's what's so cool about it. And it's really the technology. It's the increasing yeah. data accessibility that unlocks yeah. the opportunity for us. It's the ability to, to layer in, you know, machine learning data enrichment by par pairing that with, with readily available cash flow data and making it a very educated, fundamentally driven underwriting decision. That's how we get comfort. Uh, and that's what we're doing at scale. I also like that you're doing the quick little credit committee check-in for two reasons. A, it's like smart risk mitigation and that kind of stuff. But also it's like a teaching tool to the algorithm Definitely. and the tech team, you know, oh, yeah. because yeah. there's probably, you're still in the early days. So there might be some like, hey, wait a second, this is an edge case. The, the tech the tech algorithm doesn't quite understand this kind of company yet, but here we have a lending expert who can actually teach the algorithm or teach the engineers are going to tweak the algorithm. So that's like good that's like good product development to me too. I think that's pretty smart. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly right. Ideally, uh, years from now when we fully trained the algorithm, it can it can operate in its own without any human oversight. Today we're you know we're we're being a little bit more cautious and we're we're yeah. adding best in class underwriting talent from. From Wall Street, where we have people coming from uh, principals at private equity funds to a multi-billion dollar fintechs who have underwritten tens of thousands of, of yeah. software companies, they're coming together and training our model. And we're continuing yeah. to iterate on that and build that out and make sure that we have the best possible automated uh, technology and best model that's been back-tested uh, with a human touch. It's really cool. We I got to be respectful of your time, so we're going to wrap up here in a second. But you, have, you, you talked about kind of owning the customer and, you know, like providing the customer other services and just being there for those SaaS companies, you can maybe tease some of the stuff you're working on. I don't want you to spill the beans. So don't, I don't want your PR person getting mad at me here. <laughs> uh, there's other cool stuff coming down the horizon from, from ARC. Like maybe share that with the company a little bit or share that with the audience. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're, we've, we've now met with hundreds of software founders uh, since we started ARC. And what we learned is that there is demand in the market for a one-stop shop, full-service finance solution for the SaaS, purpose-built for the SaaS founder. So ARC will be the full-service solution where founders can borrow, spend, and save all in one place. And by being vert verticalizing, uh, focusing specifically on the SaaS founder, we can derive uh, specific insights around burn, retention, growth, and help founders preserve capital 
and grow efficiently and build this ecosystem around them. So that's, I, I won't, I'll, I'll spare you the, the specifics. So PR doesn't yeah. get, uh, <laughs> get upset with me, but we yeah. have a really exciting pro- roadmap ahead and, um, and excited to share the, the vision with you. I'm excited. I can't wait. Uh, kudos to you and your partner for the, the, the guy in the dorm across the hall <laughs> who you were secretly uh, tracking all these years. And uh, I'm excited for the team. And I've seen some of the technical hires um, one of them came from one of our other partners that I know very, very well and a very, very highly thought of person there. Um, so I'm excited to see what you guys build. And again, I think that unscheduled invoice financing is really, really powerful. And, uh, and kudos to you for just recognizing the opportunity. And then again, taking the leap and committing to it. So maybe tell everyone where they can reach out, how to, how to go hold of ARC, how to get a hold of you, if they want to be a partner, if they want to try out the service. Definitely. So check out our website, arc.tech. You can onboard in literally sub five minutes on average, and we can turn around funding terms in 48 hours. Definitely add us on LinkedIn, Arc Technologies, and follow us on Twitter at joinarc. Awesome. Don, thank you so much. Give my best to the team. Thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. Will do. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Have a good one. Bye, buddy. Bye. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Scotty Oh.